Hey y'all, I'm your host Peyton, and today I'll be telling you the story of one of Caddo Parish's longest-running missing persons cases. This is The Crimes Picayune. Early in the morning on January 28, 1999, an officer with the Shreveport Police Department was making his rounds when he noticed a car parked at the Stoner Boat Launch. This wasn't unusual as people parked there often to engage in adult or illegal activities. But as the officer approached the white 1994 Ford Probe, he noticed there actually wasn't anyone inside and it appeared to have been ransacked. Concerned, the officer called the phone number that the vehicle was registered to, waking up Jimmy and Susan Rubio. The car actually belonged to their daughter, Corey, whom they had just spoken to a few hours earlier when she called to let them know she wouldn't be out much longer. You see, Corey and her two daughters were staying with her parents in Stonewall while she was in the process of renovating a mobile home for them to move into. And even though Corey was 24, she still called to check in with her parents often, averaging four to five times a day. While her parents went to church that evening, Corey brought her girls, Sarah and Samantha, ages four and two, to their babysitter's home in Shreveport. The babysitter told investigators that Corey didn't tell her where she was going, but that, quote, she'd be back in about four hours, end quote. It's not made clear in my source material how, but officers later learned that Corey had gone to visit her ex-husband, 22-year-old Jesse McGay. The two had divorced in the summer of 1998 after being married for only a couple of years and were actually set to see each other in court the next morning. Jesse wanted a reduction in child support that he was paying each month for their daughter, Samantha. It's not made clear if that's why Corey went to see him that night, to discuss court the next day, or possibly to negotiate slash come to an agreement on an amount on their own. But regardless of why she went to see him, we know that she did make it to see him, thanks to records kept by Barksdale Air Force Base. Jesse was a senior airman living in the barracks, and anyone that came to visit had to stop at the gate where they'd take down your information. The Air Force Base is just across the river from the boat launch. The two are only one air mile from each other, but the drive to get to and from the other is about three miles. I'll have a map of the area on my Facebook page in case that doesn't make sense. Searches began immediately around the area where Corey's car was found. Police had people in the water, on the water, and above the water searching a 14-mile stretch from the stoner boat launch down the Red River, but nothing was ever found. Sometime in 1999, Jesse received orders for Korea. He was considered a person of interest at one point, but I'm not sure if that was still the case when he received orders. It wouldn't matter if he was, though. From what I understand, the only way they would have kept Jesse at Barksdale is if he was identified as a suspect, which they didn't have enough evidence to do. All they had was circumstantial. He was the last person to see her alive, and they were due in court the next morning to discuss matters that would only benefit him. 
And even though he had put his hands on Corey in the past, there wasn't anything to prove he had done it again, allowing him to continue with his orders and move halfway across the world. But apparently Jesse couldn't stay away from the South for too long, because in November 1999, ten months after Corey disappeared, Jesse went AWOL. According to Corey's father, Jesse left a note in his bag at Osan Air Base stating, quote, He had unfinished business and was tired of his life, end quote, and hopped on a plane to come back home. He was ultimately arrested in Dallas, Texas, and according to a newspaper article by the Daily Advisor, Jesse was brought back to and held at Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier City. The following month, a custody hearing was held regarding Sarah and Samantha. Jesse was not in attendance, and as a result, guardianship was granted to Corey's parents, Jimmy and Susan. The Rubio family became hopeful the two-year search for their daughter was coming to an end when cadaver dogs indicated human remains just 150 yards southwest of the parking lot where Corey's abandoned car was found. On Monday, February 5th, 2001, the Shreveport Fire Department was out at the Stoner Boat Launch doing some training with their canines when, according to the Fire Department spokesperson, Brian Crawford, the two showed interest in a site that wasn't part of the training. The department brought the two back the following day just to make sure it wasn't a fluke, and again they alerted to the same area, but this time Crawford explained that they barked, which was, quote, a stronger indicator than a hit. Authorities measured out a 50 by 50 foot L-shaped area and began sifting through the dirt in a gridded pattern to ensure that the area was searched as thoroughly as they could. They sifted for several days before calling off the search. The eight foot holes would just fill up with water due to heavy rain. Captain Carrie Foster of the Shreveport Fire Department told the Shreveport Times, quote, the problem is it's so wet that the water in the ground could be carrying the scent. End quote. Lieutenant Scott Spaulding of the police department told the Times that it could be months before the ground is dry enough for them to try again. Six months later, in August of 2001, with help from Houston-based canines, another search was conducted, but again, no sign of Corey was found. Jesse had moved on pretty quickly. Back in April of 2001, he had already been discharged from the Air Force, presumably for leaving Korea unauthorized, and got remarried to a woman from his home state of Virginia. They welcomed their son, Aaron, about a year and a half later in January of 2003. I normally don't name people unless they're directly involved, but this will be important in just a bit. The couple didn't last long, though, and by January of 2005, Jesse had already remarried for the third time, this time to a woman in Florida. About six months later, he was arrested in an insurance fraud sting operation along with 11 other people. Jesse would purchase cars for cheap and make them disappear so people could claim the stolen cars on their insurance. Probably not a good look to get caught for making things disappear, Jesse. Over the years, detectives have stated that Jesse is not the only person of interest and that there's actually several that they've interviewed but haven't named publicly. And I want to say that it's still very much possible that someone other than Jesse was involved in Corey's disappearance. I've considered that the visit between Corey and Jesse went as he said it did and maybe she pulled over into the boat launch parking lot to have some time to herself. 
I mean, she was a 24-year-old single mom of two living with her parents. Any of those factors could make you want some alone time. I wonder if she was sitting there and a stranger approached her vehicle and it turned physical. Although possible, I just feel like with Jesse's history, he's the most likely explanation behind Corey's disappearance. In an interview with KSLA in February 2006, Jesse's father, Tim, shared that during an altercation with his son, quote, He just took me down on the ground and put my head in a twist. He had me in a paralyzed move. I mean, it must have been something that he learned in the military, end quote. Tim wasn't the only one to fall victim to Jesse via choking. In fact, Shreveport detective Pat Lamont calls it Jesse's M.O. Not only did he choke Corey, but his girlfriend he'd had during his brief time in Korea said he had choked her too. She also told Shreveport PD that Jesse told her to, quote, be careful or I'll bury you like I did my ex-wife, end quote. In the same interview with KSLA, Jesse's father Tim shared an experience he had with a psychic prior to finding out Corey was missing. The psychic said, Oh my God, Jesse killed his wife. He strangled her. Tim said he was also told by the psychic that Corey was left at a nearby lake. I know that there are probably some skeptics out there that believe you should take this story with a grain of salt, but of course I had to get on Google Earth and just see if there were any bodies of water other than the Red River that the psychic could have been referring to, and to say that there are hundreds would be an understatement. Barksdale is about 22,000 acres, roughly 17,000 football fields, and is filled with so many bayous and lakes as well as very heavily wooded areas that still exist today over 20 years later. It's possible that the psychic was referring to the Red River, but I don't think that's probable due to the extent of the searches that were conducted on and off the water, and it makes me think that if what she saw was accurate, Corey never left that base. And I think that in order to make people believe otherwise, Jesse dumped the car at the most convenient and, quite frankly, the most discreet place he could. You see, the boat launch is kind of tucked back and hard to see from the road and would have been even more so in 1999. It used to be surrounded by trees, but the entrance to the launch on the left side has since been cleared and turned into a dog park slash recreation area. I drove past there recently to see how much someone would have seen that night if they were to have been passing by. To paint a picture of the area for those that aren't local, the boat launch is off an exit from a relatively desolate parkway. The location of Corey's car was a little over 300 yards from the parkway. Considering the distance and the darkness and all of the trees, there's no way someone could have seen who left Corey's car in the parking lot. But that also brings me to my next point. The boat launch is so tucked back that I don't think it's probable that anyone just stumbled upon it. I believe that whoever left Corey's car knew that the parking lot would be vacant and would allow them to leave unseen. Jesse would have only had to walk two miles to get back to the gates of Barksdale. And remember earlier I mentioned that investigators knew Corey had made it to the base because of records kept by the guards? These records would have also shown if and when Jesse came through too, but those records have never been made public. After doing some serious digging, I found a post Jesse made back in 2010 on a forum about the Venus Project. He writes in Spanish, quote, 
I am an American living here in Lima, Peru. I have known Zeitgeist for a year and I want to help advance it here in Peru. He signs it, Jesse James, 15 years communications and electronics technician. It would be a great pleasure to help the people of Peru recognize the truth and prepare for the future. I also believe in the Mayan calendar in the time change of December 21st, 2012, end quote. I had no idea what the heck Zeitgeist was, so of course I googled it, and lord, I felt like I was in Alice in Wonderland falling down this rabbit hole. Zeitgeist, in short and in the context Jesse used it, is a series of films that present conspiracies from Jesus to 9-11 to a small group of international individuals that are actually in control of the central banking system in the U.S. and they initiate wars and attacks like the one on Pearl Harbor for monetary gain. You know, just your regular, everyday conspiracies. The three films total six and a half hours if you're interested, but what I was more interested in was how Jesse signed his name. Jesse James. This name was featured alongside his son Aaron in the land transfer section of a Virginia newspaper in July 2011. It states that Jesse and his son both changed their last name to James from McGay. I don't know why else a grown man would change his last name other than to make it more difficult to track his whereabouts. And there could be another more logical reason he did this, but of all names to change his to, he picks the same one as a notorious American outlaw. We will never know Jesse's intentions with changing his name because he passed away in a work accident in Ecuador in 2013. In his obituary, it names family members that survived him. His mom, dad, son Aaron, but no mention of Samantha, and she believes this was intentional. Corey Marie Rubio is 5 foot 2 and 105 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a green sweater, jeans, and white tennis shoes. With Jesse gone, there is nothing to fear by reporting what you know. Someone out there knows something. If you have any information about the disappearance of Corey Rubio, please call the Shreveport Police Department at 318-673-7300 or Crime Stoppers at 318-673-7373.